You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. So today, I invite you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 13. Uh, Acts chapter 13. It'll be on the screen in a few minutes. Uh, but today is a really good day to be here because we're kicking off a brand new series. We finished up our Tabernacle series um, last week and uh, no, two weeks ago. Last week we had uh, Alexandra Bishop, and she was awesome uh, sharing with us. So two weeks ago we, we finished up Tabernacle. So it's a, always a good day to be here when you're here on the beginning of something because you get to see, you know, kind of set the table for where we're going to go. And uh, I'm excited about this new series because we're going to be exploring the life of David uh, over the next few weeks. How many of you have heard of David before in some way or another, like King David, right? King David, you think you've heard that name before. Okay, most of you. Um, whether you grew up in church or not, you're probably familiar with, with King David. He has impacted your life whether you know it or not. Um, David and Goliath. Come on, everybody. You know, everybody knows this. We talk about it in football, right? David and Goliath stories or in any sort of sports. You know, that, that's like a metaphor we use for life. David and Goliath. This, this, this is David, right? The entire, you know, Jewish faith, the star of David, right? You hear David throughout it. Psalm 23, you've heard his poetry, whether you know it or not. Most of the, the lyrics that we sing in songs are, are penned by David. Um, he's an amazing story. It was a life filled with highs, lows, joys, sorrows, successes, failures, kind of the, the whole gamut there. And our goal for this series is going to be kind of explore who he is, um, to understand more about, you know, what made him tick, who his God was, and what difference really that makes in our lives today. Like, this is a guy who lived a long time ago, so what? That's nice. Are we just doing a biopic? Are we just going to, I could just read a book about David. Why are we studying him? Um, but the reason we're going to, is there's one particular phrase that was used to describe David. There's one phrase that was used to describe him that, if it's true, makes him one of the most interesting people, if perhaps not the most important person in all of history. It's a big statement there. But there's a phrase about David, and it says this. We read this. It says, David was said to be a man after God's own heart. Think about that. A man after God's own heart. Like, that's pretty, that's, it means like his heart was like God's heart. Right? Think about that. David had a heart like God. There are people in your life that, listen, they get you. Right? There are people that... That you just, like, you laugh when they laugh, right? Like, like when you get angry, they get angry, right? You get angry about the same things. You get frustrated by the same things. You're like, I know, right? I know, right? Oh, my goodness. I was at a luncheon uh, the other day, and I was sitting across from some guys I didn't know, and one of them said the word Yankees. And instantly I knew we were best friends. Like, I just knew he gets me. And I was like, seriously, do you trust Hap? Like, this guy can't pitch. Like, I don't know. He's up and down. Like, and, like, we were just, it was like... Kindred spirits, you know, like seriously, like we, 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 we were the same person. And you know, listen, you can laugh, but you all do it. Right? You gravitate towards people who are like you, who have a heart like you, who care about what you care about. Like when you hear somebody that has a passion like you have a passion, there's some sort of connection there. There's a connection there. So here we have David, and he is said to have a heart like God's. Like, that's impressive. I don't know if anybody has ever accused me of that. You know, you've got a heart like God. I don't know. I mean, I would love. Wouldn't it be cool if people said that to you? Man, your heart is just like God's. Like, you've got a heart. Wow. Yeah. 
I'd sign up for that. Like, I, I don't know that that's ever been for me. So here's, but here's the question, right? David was said to have had a heart after God. Right? It's been said that he had a heart after God, but did he really? I mean, was that just, like, you lived a long time ago. Was that just somebody, like a biographer, trying to be nice? You know, trying to build him up? Like, listen, this was the king, and he was such a good king, he had a heart like God. You know, did he make the official king, you know, court writer or papyrus writer or whatever, like, write, hey, write down, say, I have a heart like God. Like, did he do that, right? Or was it somebody who was trying to, you know, just fluff their way into a position in the kingdom was like, oh, David has a heart like God. Hey, can I, you know, I, wanna, I want that field over there. I don't know. Um, were they just exaggerating? Was it just poetic license, you know? Because it would be really hard to buy that David really had a heart like God when you look at his life. Like, we're going to look at his life. And when you look at David's life, I don't know if the first thing that jumps out at you would go, man, this guy was, had a heart like God, right? Especially, we're going to, and we're going to be looking at it. You're going, to, you're going to see all of it. And there's some stuff. So, like, I don't know that I buy that David had a heart like God, except for one small detail. There's really just one small detail here that changes it. And it goes like this. God said it. God's the one who said David has a heart like mine. Oh, that changes things, right? Like that changes, like because because God would know. Like, like, and He has no reason to lie, and no reason to exaggerate, and no reason to be like, hey, you know, yeah, I'll just tell people David has a heart like mine. Like, what what would that benefit God? Like, because now people are being like, God, really, this guy like you? I don't know if I trust you then, right? But God said, David has a heart after mine. So that changes things. So automatically, we have a starting point here for this entire series in this. David was someone who God said about himself that he genuinely has a heart like mine. So in the coming weeks, we're going to take some time to identify exactly what parts of David's heart were like God. And possibly, just possibly, how might we begin to have a heart not like David, but like God too? The goal is not here at the end of the series will be like David. Because I, I, I don't wish that on any of you. <laughs> um, especially when you hear some of the stuff. But the, the goal will be, can you have a heart like God's? So what can we learn from David to help us have a heart like God's as well? So let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that in the coming weeks as we just study this individual that you spoke into being, that you pointed your finger at and told the entire world that this man has a heart like yours. Lord, as we take a look at him and examine him and understand what your word says about him, would we pull out things that help us to also have a heart like you? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if we're going to examine a historical figure, we're going to need some context, right? We can't just drop in on a guy who lived 3,000 years ago and be like, okay, so let's jump into his life. Because you need context, right? I need context. I don't know any of you around 3,000 years ago. I don't think so. Um, so let's just set the scene. Ready? So I'm going to set the scene for David. Okay? So in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. Yes, there we go. We're going to go way back then. That's exactly what they looked like. All right? So God created these people. They were disobedient. Right? He says, hey, don't eat the apple. They were like, I want the apple. He was like, oh, come on. Like, so God says, you have everything. Be in relationship. I want to be in relationship with you. They blew it. They eat the apple. There's separation between them and God. You've got to leave the garden, right? You've got to go live in Pennsylvania, get out of Jersey, right? You're out. Throughout time, they have children. Their children wander from God, 
Right? Their children wander from God. They forget about him. But there was one person who didn't forget about God, and his name was Noah. And that's what he looked like. All right? That's absolutely him. Okay? And Noah, right? Noah helped the ark, right? And God said, okay, we're going to do a reset. And we're going to start with these people because now these people know me. So get rid of people who don't know me. Now we're going to go back to people who, who do know me. So Noah's good. Or start the world over again. Here we go. And guess what happened? In time, people forgot about God again. And they wander away from him. So God scans the earth and says, oh, there's one who hasn't. And I find a guy named Abram. And God meets a guy named Abram. And that's Abram because he's old. And that's his wife, Sarah, because they're old. But they have a little baby. That's not their grandkid. That's their kid. Because that's what happened. God made him a promise. And he said, listen, if you trust me and you follow me, I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you, right? I'll make you famous, and I will bless the world through you. The Abrahamic promise, right? This huge promise God made that through Abraham, God would bless the world. Abraham's like, yes, you'll make me a great nation. I have no kids. When he's old, God gives him this kid. Miracle baby, right? Isaac. Isaac is this miracle baby. I'm skipping lots of history here, but you, you, we can go back and do the story. That's for another day. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Here we go. Jacob on the left is the deceiver. He's a weasel. He's a cheat. Okay? He, they were, they're twins. They look like it, right? They're not, they're not identical. I know it's hard to tell. Not identical. That's an accurate uh, historical representation as well. So you have Jacob on the left, the weasel deceiver, and on the right you have the meathead. His name is Esau. Esau was emotional, um, he was impulsive, and he was not the brightest bulb in the box. Okay, so you've got these two, and this is the two brothers. They were actually born, Jacob was born grabbing the heel of Esau. Heel grabber, somebody, that's what he was called. Heel, somebody who just constantly was trying to cheat his way through life and, 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 and grab on, right? Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob's names eventually changed to Israel. Out of Israel, we have 12 sons, the 12 right, tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Israel. Right? And generation after generation, the descendants of Abraham would follow God and forget him, would follow God and forget him. The people grew in number, became this huge nation, right? huge nation. Now, because of Jacob's son, Joseph, the people end up in Egypt. Right? We know about this, where they're in Egypt and they're growing, but then they get too big and so... People forget about Joseph. He goes away. So now they begin to enslave them. So now they're enslaved, right, in, in, in Egypt. Right? You get 400 years, they're enslaved in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to raise up yet again a rescuer, a redeemer. And it's Moses. I'm going to come up with Moses. And he leads them out of the land, into the land God promised Abraham. God, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make, follow me. So Moses leads them to the very edge. Where's Moses? Forgets and just does some things along the way that disqualifies him from leading them in. So then Joshua comes and finishes the deal, leads them into the promised land. Right? And the people settle there. And then guess what happened once the people settle in the promised land that God promised Abraham that they're finally in? Hundreds of years later, yes, God gave us in this land. And guess what we do now? We forget him. Yet again, we're going to forget God. The people saw the others who lived around them. And you know what they said? Hey, I want to be like everybody else around us. I know God led us here and God's been providing for us. But you know what? I want a king. I want a king. They all have kings. I want a king too. And God says, you don't want a king. Because a king is going to tax you, oppress you, take your children and make them soldiers, send them off. You're going to lose, your, you're going to lose everything. You don't want a king. And the people said, uh-huh, we do. Oh, we do. We want a king. So God says, all right, 
So along came the first king of Israel, and his name was Saul. And Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked like a king. He walked into a room and everybody was like, ooh, that guy should be king. So they made him king. And Saul was, I mean, he was, all right, I'll be king. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. You ever see anybody promoted over their ability? Anybody work for, no, don't raise your hand. Don't work for him. But maybe, maybe, okay, you understand, okay? And David, I'm sorry, Saul, he was a true Israelite because he started off loving and following God and in time forgot him. It's like everybody else. True Israelites. Starts good. Oh, it doesn't end well. And God's so bad that God decided, listen, I can't even deal with this guy. I'm going to appoint somebody else to be king. Usually kings are king until they die. But this guy, mm-mm. we need a new king. We need a new king. So what does God do? Just like he's done throughout history, I'm going to scanning, scanning, scan. Ah, I found somebody. I found somebody. Right? Generation after generation of people following and forgetting God. Now God searches for a new king, and God chooses the youngest of eight. Like, anybody have a family? You know, you know I'm a first child. You know about the youngest child, right? They're, like, they're just trying to survive, right? They're doing whatever they can, right? Like, the first child, like, if we see, like, there's one cookie left in the plate. We're not going to take it because we're mature. We'll save it for somebody else. The youngest child is like, give me that. Right? They're going to take the last one because it's just survival. Right? David is, listen, he's just out in the field. Right? He's, he doesn't look kingly. He's not acting kingly. And he's got this one quality that sets him apart. There's only one reason that God picks him. And we read about it. Acts 13, if you're there. Verse 22. Acts 13, verse 22. It says, but God removed Saul. Bad king, not working out. And replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. God picks David for this one reason. God said it. David's got a heart like mine. Listen, David didn't look special. We'll read about it in the coming weeks when, when the prophet Samuel, when he goes there, the priest, when he goes to anoint David, he don't, he don't, no, he's not impressed with David. He's like, you got any other sons? Like, he's just not looking at him. So there's no, he's not passing the eye test. He's just, he didn't come from a special family. He wasn't royal. He didn't have royal blue blood, right? His family was actually pretty messed up. Going to look in the lineage of David, right? Came down from Abraham, right? And then Isaac and and Jacob, right? He didn't come from meathead Esau, which is good, right? He came from Jacob, the cheater, deceiver, um, the weasel, right? So that's, that, that's, he comes from that line. There were 12 sons from Jacob's family that David could have come from, right? Jacob has 12 sons, Israel, 12 sons. So when you think about the sons of Jacob, which son should the king come from? Well, how about Joseph? He's the one who served in Pharaoh's court who saved the nation with his wisdom, right? Who had the foresight and the ability to to see dreams and to interpret them, right? Joseph's the one who saved all of Egypt from a famine. This is a guy who was trained in the the highest kingdom in the land. Surely David came from him. No, no. David came from Judah. How about Judah? Judah had a regular spot on Jerry Springer. 
Judah was the son of Jacob and Leah. Leah was not the wife Jacob wanted. Ra- you know, Rachel was the one that Jacob wanted. He got tricked. The trickster got tricked into marrying this woman named Leah. He didn't even know he was marrying her, but his, his father-in-law tricked him. That's a great family dynamic, by the way. You know, I think I'm marrying this daughter, and oh, you give me this one. They put their cover over, like, what? That's not who I said I was marrying. Hey, sorry, we got a rule here. Oldest daughter first. I didn't want her. It doesn't matter. Out of that great, healthy family dynamic comes Judah, right? And so now you've got Judah here. Judah has, he's, all right, so he's one of the brothers. Remember, they sell Joseph. That was Judah's idea. He's the guy that says, hey, we shouldn't kill him because then we get no money. We should sell him. Killing him, we get nothing. It's just like, ah, then it's over. But if I sell him, then I can buy, I don't know, go buy some more sheep or something. Like, that's Judah. That's the kind of moral person Judah is, right? And it was Judah's son, Perez, who was illegitimately conceived with his daughter-in-law from whom David descended. I mean, seriously, you want to read the story, I'm not going into it. This is the guy that David comes from. Oh, that's, so he's got cheater, Jacob, and now he's got Judah, the, hmm, hmm, that's noble, really noble guy. David's great-grandmother gets better. His great-great-grandmother, yeah, she was a prostitute. She was not Jewish. Sounds like royal lineage, doesn't it? Oh, God picked a winner here. Right? She actually sold out her entire city to save herself. History tells us that all of her neighbors and friends were killed, but she lived because she snitched. She said, hey, I will let you in to destroy my city if you save me. She brokered a deal. So she's a prostitute who brokers a deal to help the enemy. It's great. Her name was Rahab. Right? And she helped a man named Joshua from Israel, come and conquer her city, which was called Jericho. That's, that's David's great-great-grandmother. And Rahab, and she actually did have a husband. His name was Salmon, right? And they had a son. And their son was one of those guys that he, he was getting older and he wasn't married. And mom was getting worried. You know, those guys that, like, you're a little old. Come on, like, could you please, you know, find somebody to settle down? Come on, you know, find a, find a woman, you know? And there's this young lady who snuck into his bed one night, and so he decided to marry her. That's not exactly how it went, but it's pretty much how it went, right? And only that, it's not what you think, because her name was Ruth, right? And she was also not Jewish, but had great faith in God, and ended up marrying right, Rahab's son, the, the prostitute's son. His name was Boaz. So that's where this story goes. Those are David's great-grandparents. We don't, like, lineage, right? So in David's ancestry, we find cheaters, traitors, courageous and faith-filled noble people. There's this huge mix of stuff in his family tree. And you know what happens in David's life? We see it all. We see all of that mix in his life. He was incredibly human and real. And still, God called him a man after my own heart. That tells us something about God, doesn't it? That God's not looking for people with just the perfect pedigree. He's not looking for people with the perfect family or just the right training and lineage. When God goes looking for people to transform the world, he's looking for something else entirely. He's looking for something else. So what is it? What is God looking for 
What was it about David? And here we come to the second key phrase that's been used to describe David. See, in, in Acts 13, there's this passing statement made about David. It says, after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. David accomplished the will of God in his own generation. Some of the most boring parts of Scripture are the lineages, right? So-and-so had so-and-so as a son, and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and so, right? And we go ahead and go on. But I'm going to ask you to indulge me just for a moment. Can we read Matthew chapter 1? I know David was an Old Testament character, right? And we're talking, like, like Matthew chapter 1 starts off the New Testament. This is the beginning of the new story. Like, get rid of the old, right? We're getting in with the new. But this is how they start the New Testament. This is, this is how it begins, right? We read this in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, and it says this. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We know. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. I'm going somewhere. Be patient. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon. There's all sorts of stuff in here. Whose mother was Bathsheba, who was the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. And Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. By the way, Jehoshaphat is available. It's not popular right now as a name, so if you want to stand out, I highly recommend it. Was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Am I really reading this? Yes, we're going to keep going. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. Here's where the kings end. No more kings. There have been kings, kings, kings now. From Saul to here, kings. Now exiled to Babylon. Kings are over. Somebody else is going to be your king now. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of... These are just now... These are, these are guys who would have been king. But they blew it because of their ancestors. And now they're just names. Of Sheltiel. Sheltiel was the father of Zerubbabel. That's another good one. Zerubbabel. It's good for a dog. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad. Abiad was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Achim. Achim was the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. There we have it. Fourteen generations before David. Fourteen generations from him to the end of the kings in Israel. And 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Why are we reading all of this? 42 generations in that lineage. 42 generations. And how many was David? He was one. David was one name. 42 generations. One name. This is not David's story. This is the story of Jesus. David fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. He played his part. See, they measure so much, though, by David. So many names in there, and you don't hear about Zerubbabel, right? 
you don't you don't hear about so much about you know stories written of about them. There was something about David's heart that allowed him to fulfill the purposes of God in his generation. It's been said that you can't measure a tree until it's laid down. Our world likes to measure success on moments. God measures success on generations. A hundred years ago, people made decisions that affect you right now. You know what's going to happen a hundred years from now, should Jesus not come back? A hundred years from now, there will be all new people. Think about it globally. A hundred years from now, all new people. There may be a couple, a handful, and they're right now being born like today. But a hundred years from now, all new people. Sarah Groves wrote a story, a song said, Remind me of this with every decision generations will reap what I sow. I can pass on a curse or a blessing to those I will never, ever know. Pastor Matt Chandler from the Village Church in Texas, I love this. He says, listen, the man goes in the ground and the mission goes on. Man goes in the ground, the mission goes on. Someday somebody else will be in these roles. Hundred years from now, all new people. Forty-two generations, David was one. So what? So what? Just like David had a past, we each have a story. You may look at your lineage and say, how can God use me? If only I had a family like them. I'd be so much better, so much more successful, so much more for God. Jesus came from the same family as David. Same family as David. They were prostitutes and traitors and cheaters in his past. And I think God did that on purpose. He's showing us that he redeems everything. God has placed you where you are, when you are, on purpose. It wasn't an accident that David came from that lineage. I think it was an accident that David had Abraham and all those things. Because it's not an accident that Jesus came from there. So it was all planned. God knows what he's doing. Your ancestry, your context, your place in the story is purposeful. God has placed you into your family at this precise point in history to fulfill the purposes he has for you in this generation. There is a purpose for you. So here's what we learn about David's heart this week. What was it about David's heart that made it like God? And it's just one word and it's this. David had a heart that was humble. A heart like God's is humble. Humble, where do you get humble from? Because it recognizes that I have a place in the story. And I am only a place in the story. I have a place in the story, but this is not my story. This is the story of Jesus. Every one of us is in the story of Jesus. And you don't know where you came from way back, and you don't know where it's going to go. But we do know this. Will you fulfill the purposes of God in your generation? In order to do that, you need a humble heart. This wasn't about David, but he served so well that when the angel came to tell Joseph that his wife Mary would have the baby Jesus, he said, Joseph, son of David. Joseph, son of David. David's name is still getting brought up generations later. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
And after Jesus had done a miracle, the crowds were amazed and said, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? So the question is, do you want to fulfill the purposes of God in your generation? Do you want that to be said of you? I don't know that there could be a greater epitaph than he fulfilled or she fulfilled the purposes of God in their generation. Do you want it to be said of you that you have a heart after God? Well, it starts and ends with humility. We begin by acknowledging that we have a purpose in our place in history. That our family is part of the story. Every one of you. Yeah, but you don't know my family. Hey, guess what? You, can, you want to go compare yourself to David's family? Go ahead. I promise you, he wins. I don't know how messed up your family is, how broken your family is. There is garbage in David's history. And God says, no, that doesn't stop him. It doesn't disqualify him. There is purpose. Your family is part of the story and God can use it. Brokenness does not need to define you, but it can be part of God's plan to form you. Second, accept that you have a role in this generation. There are assignments that are yours and yours alone to accomplish here and now. There are things that nobody else in this room, nobody else in this town, nobody else in the state, nobody else in the country, nobody else in this continent, nobody else in this world can accomplish. There are tasks that are specifically for you. And God's not going to ask you, did you do other people's jobs? Because there are other jobs. There are things you can't do. The question is, Will you fulfill the purposes of God in your generation? Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.